talk about uh, the Emmy nominations, because I watched literally two shows on TV, Succession and Barry, which Mark also watches. Yeah, uh, we're weirdly in sync TV-wise. We're not usually, I, I don't think. But I gotta say, looking at these uh, nominations, there was one big one we wanted to shout out, or at least I think I wanted to shout out, and I think you agree with me, because also we've talked about this performance before on this podcast, in our like random talk section, which is that... Sarah Goldberg inexplicably did not get nominated for her performance in Barry. And the thing to me is, and this is what I said to my friend, is like, you know, there are always like Oscar snubs that I get upset about where it's like, oh man, this performance from this movie that I really like didn't get in. Like, uh, just in, like, you know what I mean? Like there's always, but it's like, it's a movie that like, isn't that popular. You know what I mean? Like among awards voters, right? So to me, yeah. I was like, it hurts more. When, like, an Academy clearly likes Barry and just doesn't nominate her. You know, like, it'd be different if, like, the entire show was ignored. Like, What We Do in the Shadows got a comedy nomination, but none of the actors got nominated. Like, whatever. Uh, But in this case, it's, like, she's clearly, like, she's either the best performance this season or the second best after Henry Winkler, in my opinion. Uh, Especially since her part this season and a little bit of last season is kind of written to be awards bait. And that's not that it's... I don't think it's, like pandering but it is an arc which is worthy of awards it's the kind of emotional journey that you would i think was written to showcase sarah goldberg and so that's part of why it's so weird that even after the show really gave her all this stuff that everyone i mean well well my thing is also is like with her on barry is just like okay i feel like this is my my hot take all right it's not that hot i've seen other people say this but I feel like, in a way, it is sexist not to nominate her because it's like the definition of you know, like how people like watched Breaking Bad and was like, "Oh, I hate Anna Gunn on that show," or people who watch Succession and go like, "Uh, Shiv is the worst." Where it's like, "Yeah, she's bad. Like, she is bad." Let me don't get me wrong, Shiv is terrible. But like everyone, Succession is terrible. That's the point. She's not like objectively worse than everyone else there. I also think that Sarah Goldberg's character is not like. She's, well, I don't know, those characters are all actually so different, and I think they're actually disliked for different ways, unless I'm just not aware of, like, what misogynist, what misogynist Twitter is up to, that, like, subculture, but I think Shiv is not written well, and I think that Anna Gunn, like, I think that's, that's ridiculous, so people don't like her, like, she was great in Breaking Bad. And I don't I know think, what the deal uh, is with Sarah Goldberg. We're not going to go on a fight on this, but I think Shiv is fine. Like, Shiv is not objectively written worse than anyone else on Succession. <laughs> I thought we had this talk that sh- the writers have, like, made her act dumb. I think she was getting too past, powerful. This past season... Yeah, no, 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 I agree. I think in the, I think that decay happens in the second season. And it's, like, at the exchange of her getting a bigger role in the story. So it's kind of like, I'm like... At the time, I'm like, this is a little disappointing, but also it's like... I th- I have the opinion that Sarah Go- not Sarah Go- Sarah Snook should have been put in lead for Succession season two and three. I think in season one she's supporting, but in season two and three she is the third lead of the show. Personally, she is very oh, clearly she has a, she has way more screen time than Kieran Culkin does or Matthew McFadden. Uh, she just is a bigger role. I think she drives the plot more in season two than Jeremy Strong does because he takes the backseat for most of the season. And in this... That's a in good, the pa- I didn't know she was not a lead. No, yeah, she's been put in supporting every season of the show. I think she should have been in lead since the second season. Because she, if 
Succession has a female lead, it's obviously her. And I think she is the third lead of the show after uh, Logan and Kendall. I don't know why I just totally blanked on Kendall's name for a second. Brian Cox? <laughs> Logan, Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong? Yeah, I think all three of them are, can be argued for the lead of the show. Especially more in season two. I think season two... Sarah Snook is very clearly, like, driving the plot for most of the season outside of uh, Brian Cox. Uh, mm. And then this past season, she kind of leads the team that isn't on, you know, because, like, Kendall's on his own this past season. And then there's Logan, who goes in and out of commission. And then Shiv leads the siblings otherwise. And also, it's just, like, most of Matthew McFadden's scenes are either with her or with the entire ensemble. Uh, and just off of that, like, note, she feels like a lead to me. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. I don't think you have to defend it that much. Um, but I, I do agree with you. Yeah. It sucks. It's bad. Yeah. Like, what the hell? I hope she wins. Sorry. I think she's... I think, even if you didn't like her, I think she is great. She's consistently great on Succession. Um, yeah, I'm not talking about Sarah Snook. I'm talking no, about no, Shiv, like, was a, a really great character because she was an outsider and now it's kind of disappointing because she's, like, as incompetent as everyone else, but actually, like, not in a way that is specific to her character, but just kind of, like, I feel like in a generalized way where she's, like, bad at business, and I, I'm i just frustrated by that, that they, like, it's it's like Jeremy, like, Kendall is already just bad at business, and... Um, uh, Karen Culkin's character, um, Roman, Roman, (laughs) yeah, so Roman's not interested in business, it just doesn't make sense to me that Shiv should also just be kind of, like, generally bad at business as much as Kendall is, like, she's not savvy because she is, or she was, and I think all of these miscalculations in two and three are seemed well, so artificial it was like whoops she, she almost like a uh, like unseated brian cox as the guy that succession is all about which is you know whatever well but, but i think though that also just comes along with the fact that tom's role has gr- grown across the season so inherently she becomes more of a lead if tom becomes more of a lead because most of tom's like confidant moments are with her you know what i mean yeah yeah her or craig greg but I also want to say, yeah. uh, one other thing I'll say about these Tony noms, because I have a lot of thoughts on them about shows we don't watch, but it's shows you don't watch, like, for example, there's a Ted Lasso nom I'm really happy about, uh, but the one thing I want to say about Succession is that, I don't know, no no offense to Nicholas Braun, I love you, but how do you nominate him and not the eldest son? Alan Ruck is the eldest son! <laughs> I wouldn't nominate Alan Ruck. <laughs> He's you, not, you would he's nominate just Nicholas Braun. What did Nicholas Braun do this past season? I wouldn't. Not, I wouldn't nominate <laughs> Nicholas Braun. I think that, like, I mean, he's he's fine. But I mean, like, I don't know. Did uh, did what's his name Cromwell get like a guest Emmy or anything? Yeah, he got a guest. I don't have the guest ones open, but I know he got in. They had. I think they mm-hmm. have four. The thing about Alan Ruck not getting nominated. This is my defense of it. Is that they got fourteen nominations. The show got fourteen acting nominations. How does he not get one of those? What's, That's what's one or two, more or less? I just... Look, I'll just say it. I love J. Smith Cameron. I love Jerry as a character. This is a, it has to be a makeup nom for season two, because she did literally nothing this past season. <laughs> it just has to be. Yeah. 
because she should have been nominated. She's great in season two. She just didn't have much to do this past season. Um, all right, we we don't need to talk about the Emmys more because we're a Pixar podcast, and I'm sure people don't really care about. My, I'm sure you don't care about my Ted Lasso takes because you haven't watched Ted Lasso. So like, yeah, I'm I'm not in. I'm not invested in Ted Lasso. Chip and Dale got nominated. Why? For TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I was actually. It's funny you mentioned that. I was actually. That was going to be my list today. Was like TV movies in honor of the Emmys, but I didn't want to figure that out. Um, but it's interesting that Chip and Dale, I guess, you know, would be considered a TV movie. It yeah. is one. It's weird because in many ways. Kinda, I told Julius about it, friend of the podcast, Julius Jefferson, about it. And he uh, was like, I don't really like that nom because it opens up a huge can of worms of what's a TV movie and what's not. I'm like, yeah, I guess that's fair because they could just, you know. But it was never in theaters. Yeah, but now it was Turning Red. Okay, Turning Red was put in a theater, but you know what I mean? Like, they could just put anything in it. It's like Netflix doesn't submit their stuff that are TV, like TV movies to the Emmys. It's just kind of weird. I just don't think that that opens up a can of worms because to be nominated for theatrical awards you've always had to release movies for a certain amount of time in theaters in like california and new york or that's something true like that. i knew i know that chip and dale didn't so, get an el cap release because my friend was over there when they uh went yeah to so cap. even though you might yeah like you might call turning red like a tv movie but it it was even it even had like the award season thing that they do where they'll release it in a theater even though i don't know if it would qualify because of the way it was released but like I would consider that not a TV movie just because it had that extra distribution out outside of TV. Game time. All right. Game time. I go first like I always do because I'm number one. My game is called The Letterbox Game. Do, 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 do. I'm bringing do, back the John Cena do, music. Do, do, do. Uh, the Letterbox Game. Letterbox, a popular social media site that I always uh, advertise at the end of these episodes, has added a feature... Semi-recently, so at some point I'll stop saying recently in this intro, <laughs> but semi-recently, uh, that shows algorithmically what the film you are watching is most related to. I say the first five films to mark that it's related to, and he has to guess the movie. After two guesses, he gets the year the movie came out. After the... that After that guess, I give him another movie. Then eventually he'll get to seven movies. That's his final chance. And then we, um, we reveal if he hasn't got it yet. Uh, because this week in our rotation, we have something special. I have to add this note to remind people that Letterboxd, although it is primarily a movie site, also includes short films and miniseries and TV movies. So, Mark will pick a number between one and ten. And he will get to guess. And he will get three rounds of this. So pick a number Eight. one for ten. Oh, and also I always forget it says, if it's a film in a franchise, I remove the franchise films from it, and I remove any film by the same director from it too. Pick a number. Six. Six. Toy Story. Toy Story four. Toy Story three. The Jungle Book 2016. And The Lion King, the original one. Finding Nemo. Nope. Hmm, I think all the Toy Story movies had the same director. But I also... I Well, no, that that is impossible. But anyway, I don't think that... 
<laughs> another another podcast, another confrontation with John Lasseter. Um, I'm sure he'll come up later. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe maybe that part of the podcast will be like two minutes long, and we won't get to him. Um, <laughs> so let me. So like whatever, three D current animation thing. Uh, Brave. No, no, no. I take that back. Um, Cars. It is not Cars. I will say, what were your two guesses? Is um, Cars and what else? Cars, and the first one that I guessed was. What did I guess? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think either of them are in the top twenty-five. Whatever the other one you guessed was. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> uh, your year is nineteen eighty-seven. Wow, but those were like. Everything was CG except for the Lion King. Weird. Well, maybe this is the one short, uh, whatever, the Sesame Street shorts. So you're just guessing all four of the shorts? I just, I, well, okay, not, not all four of the shorts. I'm gonna guess, uh, Tin Toy. Because no. I think the shorts actually came out later. Is it Tin Toy? No, it's not Tin Toy. Okay. Uh, so your next film, your sixth film is... Christopher Robin. Knickknack. Nope. So your last film that I'll give you is... By the way, everything you've guessed so far is not in the top 25. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so your last one, and then after I read this last one, I'll recap it for the listeners at home, is Frozen 2. So the seven films are Toy Story... Toy Story 4, Toy Story 3, The Jungle Book Remake, The Original Lion King, Christopher Robin, and Frozen 2. Did Toy Story 2 have a different director? What am I thinking here? Mm. I do think it's very weird. I'll say right now, Toy Story 2 is not in the top 25. Mm. So is it is it the movie I watched? Well, you could guess it, because if it is the movie I watched, it wouldn't be in the top 25. But or, it didn't come out in 1987. But also, would I give you Toy Story 1, Toy Story 3, and Toy Story 4 if it was Toy Story 2? Yeah. Oh, that's right, because it's in the same franchise <laughs> or whatever. Man, I am, like... You had to have watched something in the time that we had, but it was... No, 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 not necessarily. I don't... I think I thought I told you that off mic. I didn't say it on the podcast. Um... Since I we recorded three days ago, okay, uh, I obviously have not watched ten movies in three days. So the movies I have seen are in this ten, but then I've also threw in some other ones over the from over the past month. All right, toaster. Is that your guess? Yeah. The brave little toaster is your guess. Yes, that is, that is your my final guess. Answer? The brave little toaster is my final answer. Do, do, do. You, you got it. Do, do, oh, I did do, get it. Do, 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 do. I've never watched two Why did you trick me with the wrong noise? No, that's what they do in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It's like, final answer? Final answer. Then it goes, do, do, do. Oh, I thought, you, I thought wah, you were wah. trying to do the prices right. Do, no, do, I was doing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Whoa. Yeah, it's the Brave Little Testers. Okay, great. All right, next number. Four. Your five films are Turning Red, 
Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Incredibles 2. Shazam! The Mitchells versus the Machines. It was something Miss Marvel related. Was it Miss Marvel? Yeah, it was. This is the film I gave you the warning about because many series are on Letterboxd. Yeah, it's Miss Marvel. It did occur to me. <laughs> Yahoo! Yeah. What a great, what a great one, one try. All right. Yeah, which I think that's the first time since we've started keeping them in the episodes. You got it in one, right? Maybe. No, no. besides the Asphalt Jungle, but that one you kind of cheated. Yeah. At. Well, I guess you knew I watched Miss Marvel, but. I'm I, pretty proud about my airport guess, actually. Yeah, which the airport is guess the was ed- good. Ep- yeah. And I think this is a. I think you guessing. I think these is an interesting bunch. Of prefer- I'm. I'm glad it actually has Turning Red as the film that's most close to Miss Marvel. I think that's interesting. I think it's cooler for that than, to be that than one of these superhero movies. You know. Yeah, and that that did really tip me off. Actually, is like a contemporary female-led film. Okay, last number. Seven. Films are The Royal Tenenbaums, Garden State, Wish I Was Here, Little Miss Sunshine, and Smoke Signals. Smoke Signals is a great movie if you haven't seen it. I um, actually, because when I did this, you know, I said I do this game with um, another friend of mine just over text. Uh, when I did this round with him, I was like, I was like, I've never heard of this movie. And I clicked it. And I was like, oh, okay, and I added it to my watch list. It looks, it looks pretty good, so I do want to check it out at some point. It's a very, it's such a good example of a 90s indie movie. Um, it's, Smoke Signals is really great. It's, and, and everyone go check out Smoke Signals. Um, so, another, another Garden State Royal Tenenbaums I know, they pop group up of films. <laughs> <laughs> Because and I think I did terribly on the last one mm-hmm. where they came up. So <laughs> well, okay, no. At the end, you said you didn't even know the film I was talking about. So <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. Um, was it Palm Springs? No, I feel like you always guess Palm Springs when I get those two. Yeah, even though I know you watched that movie like a month ago, it's just I can't think of any other like indie movies. Um. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Nope. All I right. think that was the movie that you watched last time. The year is no, it wasn't. I'll tell you what the what the movie I watched last time was when we're done. Uh, if you if you're really that curious. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. The year is 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. All right. Ooh, man, there are so many indie movies. And they're all the same, so they can all be used to, like, refer to each other in a letterboxed listing. Um, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. No, definitely not. All right. All right. The next film you get is Rain Man. <laughs> I'm very surprised that's one of the ones I'm giving you, but, <laughs> but that's the next one. <laughs> all right, so that's different. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, the thing is, initially when I thought it was like, huh? And I, was, I thought about it, I'm like, no, I, I can, I kind of get it. Maybe just a little bit. Man, that really throws me. Um, seems like, like, what did Terry Gilliam do in 2010? But, um, uh, 
every time I think of an indie movie too, I think of like a bad one that you wouldn't like go out of your way to watch or something that just, that's just not like well remembered, like safety not guaranteed or something like that. Um, I don't know if that's like a bad movie or whatever. Uh, Scott just so you Pilgrim. know, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure everything you've guessed so far is not in the top twenty five. And Scott Pilgrim's not in the top twenty five either. So your last not cool. one is and let me recap once I'm done reading it for the listeners. The last film you get is Boyhood. So the film is from twenty ten. It your films were The World Ten and Bombs, Garden State, Wish I Was Here, Little Miss Sunshine, Spoke Signals, Rain Man, and Boyhood. Hmm. So it's um, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. No. You ready for this? I like that because I think that that was what Rain Man would be like. You want to know this? You want to know this? Body Adventure movie. You're going to feel very dumb you didn't guess this. But first, before I say what this one was, I will remind you what last week's was. And it will probably let you know what this one is. Last week was Eagle versus Shark was the one with Garden State and the World Ten and Bombs. And you guessed, yeah, but I guessed Hunt, Hunt for, for the, the Wilder, Wilder People. People. But you did not guess the Taika Waititi movie that came out in between those that does not have vampires in it, which is Boy. 2010's Boy. Uh, <laughs> you guessed everything have I seen besides Boy? the Taika you want me to watch. You should. I think it's yeah. his best New Zealand film. Mm, better than Hunt for the Wilder People? Yes. It's Saturn. Okay. It's a very sad oh. movie. It's also probably... Well, well, it definitely has Taika's best performance in it. Like, as an actor. He's very yeah. good in it. I recommend it. It's on, um, it's on Canopy. If you have Canopy. I don't know oh, man. Know. Maybe I do. You know, Canopy comes and goes in terms of, like, how easy it is to access. But now that we all have Criterion Channel, do we need Canopy? I mean, I Boy's know. not on Criterion Channel, so... Hmm. <laughs> Alright, those are my three films. You did really good on the middle one, and you got Burville Toaster, so mixed bag for yeah, you today. I but, think I think we're I think we're improving though. Although yeah. if you if you listen to all these, you can probably guess that I think that three indie films exist. And, <laughs> and you think like, I really want to watch those three every time you guess them. It's just those are the ones that I think that, that I, I if I think Danny and watched a movie, I think Palm Springs. <laughs> Danny definitely then, um, yeah. All right. So my game is the game of lists. Now, when this episode is coming out, it will be the end of July going into August. So we are right at the top of summer, the time of going outside and getting in your car with your bud, going down to the drive-in and eating popcorn and watching watching some summer films. So, I thought that I would do a little list. I would look at a list um, with some of those movies that you might go watch. So, this is um, using data from IMDb and their star system based on users' votes. All right, These... so... So if it has, um, I got it. So I'll keep in mind that anything that has a uh, person of color or a female lead is probably going to lose because they're all racist there and sexist. Go on, sorry. Probably. <laughs> I actually don't know if any of these have. All right, keep that in mind. <laughs> now that I look at what I have here. Um, anyway, you have, you have so much back, like, 
behind the scenes knowledge of all these things and I'm just like, oh, if I choose like the parade parade magazine, no one will know what that is. And then I go with IMDB based on my own thing and you're like, oh, here's how they're racist. All right. So basically just using the entire website of IMDB and the rankings, here are some summer horror movies and Ooh. you will guess which is one. Is this because of a... It- uh- Sorry, go on. Sorry, sorry. Keep talking. I just said what it was because of. It's because of it's going to be summer when this well, comes out. I was going to say more. You know what comes out next week, right? Last no. week at the time this comes out is Nope. So I was thinking since it's horror, it's because of Nope. Whoa. Well, I probably should have chosen anything except for the films that I actually chose. Um, <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> that's that not means. where my brain went. Um, oh, man. I'm gonna go see Nope in theaters. That's like. What if by the time this episode's out, you already have? Yeah, I probably will have, and it'll. I'll be like, I should have done this based on Nope. You I don't see know. It in I IMAX, just, like, if you can afford it, because you have the big. It was shot in IMAX, and we don't have any IMAXs in Chicago, so I'm jealous. If that. I'll York actually make IMAX. a point to see Nope. I'll make a point to see Nope in IMAX. Nice. Um. Yes. All right. So here is uh, the racist IMDb list of classic <laughs> summer horror movies. Brought to you by Nope. All right. <laughs> the racist list brought to you by Nope. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> 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 not, it's not brought to you by Nope. Um, I wanted to pick this, though, because I don't know like how well you know horror movies. So yeah, some fair. of these yeah, might yeah. be out there. All right. So first pair is Children of the Corn and The Original Hills Have Eyes. You're right, I don't know if these... Uh, Children of the Corn and Hills Have Eyes, I'm going to go with... Mm, so, see, my gut is, if this was like an actual critical response, I think The Hills Have Eyes, but I think IMDb probably likes Children of the Corn more. It's because I feel like that's more of like a cult classic type of thing, whereas Hills of Eyes is like Wes Craven and actually respected, you know? So, I'll go with Children of the Corn. Your instinct is backwards. Uh, Hills oh. Have Eyes has 6.3 and Children of the Corn has 5.6. I'm so wondering if really this low. is because... So they're both <laughs> low. Got it. Okay, sorry. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, th- that's something to keep in mind is that everything on here is not going to be, like, well-reviewed. Um, <laughs> I didn't know. I it's, thought maybe it's you were doing Jaws. No, I'm not doing Jaws. Because originally okay. I wanted to do a list of um, only movies that were horror movies set at summer camps. And I realized mm. that I didn't know enough of them for it to be, like, fun for me. So we're doing, like, horror movies, but I don't know. Like, I didn't want to do Jaws. Um, surprise, though, Jaws, I think Jaws has, like, an, an eight. Um, so maybe yeah, something I to keep in mind. People are credence. Yeah. <laughs> How is Jaws an eight? <laughs> Sorry, go um, on. Um, all right. So next pair is Sleepaway Camp and Friday the 13th. I think it's got to be Friday the 13th just off a classic status, you know? Yeah, uh, but they're close. It's uh, Friday the 13th is a 6.4 and Sleepaway is 6.2. Sleepaway Camp I really enjoy, though. Um, If you want something that's like, you should, I don't know, just read about it, see what you think. And I recommend it as like, whoa, this is like kind of surprising in a lot of ways. And it's, it's very goofy and colorful, too, so that's fun. All right, next pair is Midsummer... Or The Wicker Man. Well, even though I 
said female lead is going to be lower. I think that the film bros of Midsummer being recent pumps up Midsummer, so I'm going to go with Midsummer. All right, so even after I warned you about not doing that, you have put Midsummer above Wicker Man, and you are wrong. Wicker Man is 7.5, and Midsummer is 7.1. And well-deserved, deserved, I might add. Wicker Man is a great film as well. Um, I'm sure. I, I'm sure it's both of Midsummer. Uh, I will say, I'm glad you threw Midsummer in there, because I was hoping there would be one recent movie in there, but I was expecting one of the Fear Street movies from last year to be in there. Well, I actually haven't seen any Fear Street movies, even though I should. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna open a tab for Fear Street now, so I can watch it later. They're pretty so fun. Not, uh, yeah. The second one is the best one, though. Just the so Fear you know. Street trilogy. I no, rank I'm them two, sure ever... three, one. One. The first one's the worst one. I have no memory of watching Evil Dead Two, and I'm wondering if I've ever actually seen it. So well, that might be something I need to. I, do. I don't know. I don't really to have... hopefully see Evil Dead Two in two days at a midnighter. So. Good movie. I have I have one more kind of as a joke question okay. because you're not going to know. I have not seen any of these, and I just want to see what your brain does. So, last joke pair is Sleepaway Camp Two, Happy Campers, or I still know what you did last summer. Uh, just based on vibes, which do you think is ranked okay. higher? Here's the thing. You might say off of vibes. This is gonna be this is gonna be tough. It's gonna be really funny if I'm wrong, but I'm really confident about this. Is that <laughs> I know that I still know what you did last summer. It's considered one of the worst horror sequels of all time. So I'm gonna go with Sleepaway Camp Two as being higher. You've done it. Sleepaway <laughs> Camp is five point five. Know what you did is four point seven, and that's that's the game higher than list. I thought it was. I, that's higher than I thought it would be. Honestly, I still think what you, I, I still know what you did last summer. I, I thought it was gonna know. be like a three or a two, honestly. I mean, I think that bad horror movies are, you know, they can be bad, but they're usually, like, more well-received than, like, a bad comedy, you know? I just remember... Because like, you I can think... still watch a bad horror movie. Mm, debatable. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I've seen a I couple mean, bad I mean, I do. Movies, I'm yeah. gonna check, I'm gonna check out that sequel, but... Go on. Alright. Should we get into our actual thing? Yes. Alright. Explain why we're here, because I think this is kind of a weird one. Yeah. So first off, um, before I even explain what we did, I realized that I put them in the wrong order. Sorry, Mark. I don't know if you figured that out or not. No, I don't know if I could have told. (laughs) But I should have gone to the Muppet Wiki. And if you're wondering why we're in the Muppet Wiki, it's because this week we are talking about everyone's favorite public television show, that does not have Fred Rogers on it. Uh, Did you forget so what its name is? Okay. <laughs> well, no, I, I caught it in my brain for a second because I realized, actually, this will not be the only time we go to PBS. PBS will come oh. back in about a year, which I think is amusing in and of itself. But for now, this will be our first, uh, first and for a long while, only PBS episode. We are going to talk about Sesame Street. Sunny days. Taking the cloud away. Hopefully they don't DMC strike us. Um, wow, that see. was really good. Thanks. Uh, I'm just going to read the Muppet Wiki article on this because it's the only spot of like information I can find on this. We are going to talk about four shorts with Luxo Jr. that aired on Sesame Street from 1991 to... Let's see when the last one aired. 1991 to 1994. So I guess there was probably like one a season 
on it, but I'm yeah. really surprised that they like, oh, no. stretched out that far. There were two in season 28, one in season 31, and one in season 32. Beginning and uh, I'm just going to read the Muppet Wiki. Thank you so much for writing out the only information. Uh, beginning in 1991, the character Luxo Jr. began appearing in a series of short segments, about 30 seconds each. These are co-directed by John Lasseter and Andrew Stanton. Each film built on the original film, focusing on Little Luxo. I don't know why it says Little Luxo instead of Luxo Jr. You know his name, you dumb Wikipedia writer. I'm not happy with you anymore, Muppet Wiki. Hold on, let's it. find them. It's, do you know who wrote it? It's a random editor, I so. Uh, I want to point out before I continue. This is listed under celebrities. Um, this is this is found in animated characters, animated segments, comparisons, and celebrities. I like that Lexo Jr. is a celebrity. <laughs> yes, the Muppet Wiki says, really needs to get its act together. He's all focused on Lexo learning a different concept, particularly opposites, with the help of his dad, Lexo Senior. All four shorts were included on a Blu-ray release of Pixar short film collection. But we found them on YouTube. Now, the only history we have for this that I'm just going to read the quote directly because it's the only quote I can find about it is from Sesame Street producer Arlene Sherman, which will put into context what these are, okay, and how they came to be. With Pixar, I was helping to train their animators for Toy Story. They need to get up a ton of people. I'm going to restart because I have. Sorry. What are you I, saying? I have to read it word for word because I said I'm quoting her. I'll Can I read time. it? No. If okay. I mess up this time, yes. With Pixar, I was helping train their animators for Toy Story. They needed to gear up a lot of people. So the Pixar people and I had a mutual feeling about the show and sensibility. And so I would never know when I was getting another animation. I would approve the storyboards and then I would get these packages in the mail with these wonderful Luxo Jr. pieces. I've had a lot to work with relationships and use the good feeling that Sesame Street is promoting. Working producer is a real advantage there because people want to work for the show. So basically, these were used as a training exercise for new animators that need to hire on for Toy Story. Lasseter and Stanton would direct these shorts and send them in to, um, you know, Sesame Street. And then, yeah, that would be great. You trained. You trained the animator. Uh, we're done with Alexa Jr. shirt. Go work on Woody, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. What? Sorry, no, no. Oh, you oh no, no. Go on, go on. Go well, on. I was saying, I think it's issue because I think these are notably lesser quality than the original Oxford Junior shirt, but that also makes sense because these are like a side project they did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I mean, what I was going to say is basically my only thought about these is that they made me angry because they seem... <laughs> <laughs> How dare they do a Sesame Street shirt? <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm just like, they're so low quality and it's like, you could have done this... This is, I'm like the Pixar boss that was like, why did you do this for more money and more time? Like, what, what are you doing here? Like, I don't know, like, I don't know, they could have, like, made a car commercial or something, just they anything did. that, like... They did. Well, we, I remember, I said we weren't covering, uh, no, 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 I was about to say that, to be clear, because I realized I forgot to mention this, even though we're, this is the only thing we're covering in between... Whatever short we talked about, knickknack. <laughs> Whatever short I talked about two days ago and a week ago for you guys. Uh, and this is the only thing we're talking about between knickknack and Toy Story. Pixar did do a large variety of commercials in between knickknack and 
Toy Story. However, those commercials are really hard to track down, whereas these are pretty easy to find, and it uses a character that is already established by Pixar, and it's not really marketing anything beyond Pixar itself, you know? So I thought it would be, like, the best option to just do this one. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta wonder, you know, what it, if you put in the work, what what we could unearth. But I don't want to do that. But I mean, I'm also I'm also just like I Sesame Street has stuff that's like so good, and this to me was just like it seemed like an ad for Pixar, and it that's that's the only reason it annoyed me was I was like this is low quality. It, it seems like as a company, they're like moving backwards, which is not what I'm used to with Pixar. I don't know if we're going to like get into the present and then it'll be like all the shorts are kind of like, you know, you see less experienced directors juxtaposed with more well, experienced directors see as is, time goes on. Well, what you'll see is more recently is that Pixar started nowadays. Pixar shorts are over two things after bow. This will be a nice history lesson now to put into context for way later, but also I think it's relevant, is that Bao marks the end of the traditional Pixar short era. Since Bao, the shorts we've gotten are either Disney Plus ones that are based off pre-existing IP, like the Doug shorts or the Forky shorts, uh, which are kind of more in the line of the Mater shorts, which we'll talk about two events on this podcast. Um, mm. Or what has replaced the... Traditional Pixar short is what are called spark shorts, which are designed just so that way you have an animator who has a neat idea that is like, all right, we'll give you a small team and we'll see what your idea ha- gets with a much lower budget than what we used to traditionally assign shorts. So Bao is the last insanely good looking Pixar short. And then since then, it's been like, let's experiment with different styles and different computer methods to tell a story. You putting it that way has soothed me, but not... Not for these, still. <laughs> well, I was opening up my thoughts for them, because I wrote down quick notes for once on these, um, so, because I could keep them apart. I will say, I watched them in the wrong order. I think you watched them too, because the way I put them in the dock was up and down, front and back, light and heavy, and surprise. Whereas they released yeah. in the, or- the uh, order of surprise, light and heavy, up and down, and front and back. Um, to me, I thought the best one was light and heavy. Um, and that's because that's the one that they break the fourth wall in a lot. And that's why I thought it was fun. Because there are multiple points in that one where uh, Luxo, both Luxo Jr. and Luxo Sr. just look at the camera and it's like, what's going Like, what are you doing to us? <laughs> like, I, I really appreciated that part of it. Uh, I thought Surprise was the worst one. Which makes sense because it's the first one. But, like, I don't think Luxo Jr. should be allowed to laugh. It's creepy. <laughs> And also, front and back, where was Senior? We all know the actual star of Luxo Jr. is Luxo Senior. Come on. I do think they they need each other. So the fact that the last one of these shorts doesn't have Luxo Senior to me is a betrayal of everything you expect from the Luxo Jr. shorts. And I think everyone in Pixar should be ashamed that they put front and back out. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you, um, because this did get me thinking about things a little bit, is... um, you can cut this out if you if it's not cool to say, but you work with kids that this would be like the age range for, right? No, but the and you have to cut this part out. Uh, once okay. I tell you the age range of the kids I work with, but you can keep in mind you can keep in the question in my nail. No. Sure. I actually yeah. do want to talk. I do want to talk about PBS because that is actually the main point of discussion here. Is was how often like this is literally like this episode is 
talk about Sesame Street, you know, and talk about public television. That is what this episode is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, you know, I, I'm definitely, I wasn't around during, like, the, um, like, I, I'm sure that Sesame Street has kind of had iterations, and we are, we're kind of, like, pre-contemporary Sesame Street, but we're definitely not, like, old, weird Sesame Street. Yeah, um, Mr. Hooper's already dead. <laughs> That's the big thing. Mr. Hooper's dead already, so... Before we started watching, you mean? No, I mean, by these shorts, Mr. Hooper, I believe, already died. Oh, okay. You know about, you well, know so about you Mr. Hooper's death. You have, like, deep lore. Yeah, I did, but I thought it was actually, like, later. No, it's 1982. Probably the oh, episode wow. was 1983. He died in 1982. Yeah. The episode was Weird September that I know about that, considering it was, like, I mean, so it's early. Con- it's considered one of the most groundbreaking episodes of television, <laughs> of children's television. So that's probably why you know about it. Like, it is a major piece of television history. Well, alright, uh, so that kind of gets back to why I'm annoyed with these shorts, is because they don't have to be, like, fantastic, but they actually seem a little, like, they seem a little lowbrow for Sesame Street. Well, I mean, sometimes I'll, like, go back and watch, like, that clip of James Earl Jones counting down from ten. Um, and that is not something like, like, some of the Elmo stuff and, like, Mumminshans and just everyone they have on there. I don't know. I, I, I was really annoyed that for their, like, celebrity person they got on, it was Pixar and it was Pixar doing student work like the student films of people currently working at Pixar and it seemed like there needed to be like more going on I think I th- I just I think the craft of Sesame Street is always like that's always what I think adults can enjoy versus like the content that kids would enjoy and I felt like that was really missing but I I wanted to ask I wanted to ask you like do you think it made me is it made me think about like what little kids find funny because i think they they have this sense of like if you like break a norm like they have a sense of like norms and then breaking them and that's funny and that's kind of tied to like physicality somehow i'm Excuse i'm me. about to i'm about to break one of my own rules and talk about my job a little bit without talking about my job and by that all i mean is so recently at work, I saw Minions: The Rise of Gru, and I also saw Lightyear with work. And I think it is pretty evident which one of those movies would be more popular with the kids, uh, even without watching it. If even if you hadn't seen Lightyear, I think it's pretty obvious Minions would be more popular with the kids. Um, and what I am always surprised with when I watch a movie with kids is the thing that gets consistent laughs. And even when watching Minions this time. You know what always, without a fail, made them laugh was the minion, a minion showing its butt. Like, that was literally, like, would always just make the entire audience just laugh. Was, yeah. So, okay, so, but go on. Sorry, I didn't... Well, no, it is just, like, I'm trying to think, like, over... The, let me open up... I have a letterbox list where it's, like, films I've been paid to see, which just means films I've watched at work, you know? Well, so, like, no. these are these are the movies I've... know how kids react to, because I've watched them with... I've, I've watched these movies with kids... And looking through them, I just think about, um, well, honestly, a lot of these, I don't even remember, like, what the reactions were at the movie. But 
Finding Dory, I remember the kids, like, not really getting the emotional depth of it, but that's okay. They just liked, uh, they like, you've seen Finding Dory, right? No. Well, it's okay. Uh, they just like, they honestly like, because there's a trend in animated movies nowadays, which I don't want to like blame on them on, on Illumination because they, it's been around before. It's just the minions like gave us a word for it. Because uh, I actually read the argument that the little green men in Toy Story are the original minions. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Like, they're not used as prevalently as the minions are in Despicable Me, but they function the same, like, as funny comedic creatures that do a little funny bit that aren't really associated, with, especially in Toy Story 1 and 2. After, and in Toy Story 3. They're not really in Toy Story 4, but you know what I mean? Like, they show up, do a funny bit, and that's it. And I, I always tell this story. Here's how you can tell a movie's good for a kid. Uh, if a kid likes a movie and a kid doesn't like a movie, and especially when you work with kids, is if a kid likes a movie, unless they really need to use the bathroom, they're not going to ask you to leave the theater. They're going to hold it. Like, unless they're, like, real... Because I... Unless they're, like, super young, which isn't an age I ever work with. I'm comfortable saying that on the podcast. I don't work with super, like... I don't work with babies. And I don't work with toddlers. So, like... Mm. Everyone I work with is potty trained, is my point. Uh, mm. So... I always go back to summer 2019. We saw Toy Story 4 and The Lion King. When I, the remake of The Lion King. We saw Toy Story 4. My kids sat there the entire time watching the movie. They made a couple jokes here and there. They called the uh, dummies Annabelle because they wanted to sound cool. But, like, you know, like they paid attention to the movie. And they made fun of me for crying at the end. Uh, but then when we saw The Lion oh, King. Wow. Yeah, when we saw The Lion King, they asked me multiple times, Can we leave? Can I go to the bathroom? This movie, like, I don't like this movie. Can we go? Like, someone literally, like, kid asked you guys, like, can you drive me home? And I was like, no, I can't. Like, I, that's not possible. I didn't even drive here. It's <laughs> like me. I really respect that. Like, I just you may have my money, but you're not going to have my time. I just remember that there was a kid who had not seen the original Lion King when we watched the remake. And the circle of life was going on. And, like, right before, like, you know... Uh, like the end of the song, he just turns on me and is like, "What's this movie even about?" <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, "Well, it's about a lion becomes king." And then the lion king appears on screen, and I'm like, "See?" And he just gave me the biggest glare ever. <laughs> How did the kids? What did they think of Key and Peele and TS4? Oh, they loved them. They loved them. That was uh, that was a bit. I forgot about them. Yeah. I forget about a lot of stuff. They loved Forky and they loved the Ducky and Bunny. They were their favorite parts of the movie. Uh, well, like, I don't so think they got the Keanu Reeves jokes. You know what I mean? Like, they were just like, what? Yeah. Although they did like Keanu the like, cutaway gags. They liked the cutaway gags. Well, so, bringing it back to the lamps. Yes. Obviously. <laughs> That's the there are, there are So there are clowns and there is a, like a spectrum of clowns. Of, of like non-speaking clowns in all of these movies, and you could probably like, it would very, it probably, it would be very interesting actually to like, um, categorize them because I think you definitely could, within like, the umbrella of the humor for the kids, you have different ways of getting there. Um, I think that it's interesting that kids respond to that, even though, I mean, I think, and I think it's because like the acting is there. But I don't know if that was there in the lamp thing, and I'd have to, like, sit a kid down in front of it and have them watch it and see their reaction. But that was what I was thinking watching it as I was like, I, like, 
the beats in the original Luxo Jr. are just much cleaner too. It's like well, there's not a whole lot of performance here anyway. It could have just been like scraps of paper on top of each other, and I think that would have been more interesting. Well, I think it's obvious the original one's better. Like, I don't even think trying to compare them makes any real sense because these are aiming for a different audience than the first one. Um, and they're also obviously way lower quality just in animation than the other ones. I think also you are uh, missing, I don't know if the appeal of Sesame Street is point, but the structure of Sesame Street is is that since this is 30 seconds, if your kid gets bored, who cares? We're going to move on to another segment. You know? Like, that is what Sesame Street is. Not everything is going to hit it. Like, it's kind of like, I feel like when we talk about, like, there's errors of Sesame Street, and obviously we're not historians on this, but it's kind of like SNL when people are always like, oh, yeah, SNL was great when I was, like, when I was in college, you know? Like, people are always like, oh, the 90s of SNL, that's the golden age. Oh, the 80s of SNL, that's the golden age. But if you look ever back at these SNL, people only ever remember the classic sketches. Like, 10 years from now, SNL... The only bad sketch they're going to be talking about, really, is probably Kate McKinnon singing Hallelujah after the election. That's the only thing that will be brought up as a bad, like, sketch that's remembered. Sesame Street is really interesting to me because unlike the other PBS shows that you watch as a kid, like, for me, I think about Arthur, Cyber Chase, Gra- Dragon Tales. Sesame Street is a thing that it's always, like, when you're a kid, it's the baby show. Like, I think there's literally an episode of Arthur where he, likes watch, like... Yeah, it's the Love Ducks episode of Arthur where he watches the uh, Love Ducks and everyone's like, that's a baby show. You shouldn't have liked that, Arthur. And it's like, well, no, some kids do grow up and like it. But to be clear, I didn't grow up in really like Sesame Street much at all. I remember my mind was blown when I realized that Mr. Noodle was Bill Irwin, but that's about it. Like, mm-hmm. but I think Sesame Street is interesting historically because I opened up a tab here about the history of Sesame Street from Newsweek. 9-11 was tackled on Sesame Street, and it's like Elmo was dealing with a fear when he saw a grease fire break out on the lunch counter, and he gets talked to by firefighters in Harlem about, like, how he saw the images on the TV, and I, I, I think, I think just generationally, we always have to, and it's such a weird thing to say, because I feel like it's something that a lot of people our age will say sarcastically, where it's like, it all goes back to 9-11, but it really does, if you think about, it, like, our childhood, and granted, I am older than you by a couple years, but childhood really is like like 9-11 is such a turning point of like before that and actually 9-11 happened when I was six so it's not like I was suddenly an adult but it is just like a sudden thing where afterwards where like kids programming was very like aware of like maybe we shouldn't be like like maybe we shouldn't have stitch hijack a plane you know that was something that blew my mind honestly no side note when I watched the minion sequel that there's a sequence in it where the minions hijack a plane, and it's funny. I love it. But it's also like, wow, this would not be in a kid's movie when I was a kid, because this would, like, it's not, a, like, because when I was a kid, it wasn't a cartoon thing to happen. But in this one, it's like, oh, the minions are going to hijack a plane. Why not? And I'm like, it was one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Like, I didn't really like the new Minion movie, because I never liked the Minions movie. But I was like, wow, yeah, this is, like, a Looney Tunes-esque slapstick thing that would not exist when I was a kid, just because of, like, people not wanting to... I, I don't, like, I, I said the Lilo and Stitch thing. I don't blame Disney for cutting out the Lilo and Stitch thing where Stitch hijacked a plane merged in the climax. It makes sense, too, because that's a very triggering thing for not just people in New York, but, like, kids at the time who saw the images on the TV. And it's just, like, I was saying, the reason I saw I was bringing this up is because, you know, I talked about the Arthur marathon I did, right? And there was an episode that made me sob so much when I was watching it. 
and it was um the episode I didn't even connect to being about 9/11 as a kid and I didn't emotionally cry at when I was a kid and it's that um it's the it's the episode's called Ape What? Yeah, yeah, well I'm gonna, I'm going to explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm gonna explain it to the listeners too, because I know I I know I told you the story before we started this podcast back when I watched the Arthur episode. But, oh, I really thought we did it on mic. Okay, go ahead. No, we we didn't. We talked about. Uh, I don't think we did it on mic. If we did, sorry for repeating this. I'll try to keep it quick. Because uh, I thought the only time we talked about Arthur is when we talked about the car talk, guys. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but on the April 9th episode of Arthur. Uh, it's, there's a fire at their school, and Arthur's dad is at the school that day, and the reason I didn't catch it was 9-11 <laughs> as a kid is because, like, oh, it's an episode about fire safety, whatever, but then you watch it now, and it's like, Suan's like, I'll never forget the day it happened, April 9th, and I immediately like, oh, okay, that's what this is about, like, like, we will never forget, like, what we lost in the fire, but I won't ever forget what we found, like, the the camaraderie and like how everyone just came together and loved each other. I'm like, that's what this is. Like, oh my gosh. Um, oh, it's, it's really like, honestly, really powerful, like storytelling for kids watching it. But anyway, my main, the main thing, the main thing that made me cry in it was, and this is about to get really heavy. Cause I'm going to talk about my own personal stuff here. And this is why I know I didn't go on mic about my personal stuff. Cause I want to talk about this personal stuff on like on any other podcast I'm on. Um, is that the episode is about Arthur's plotline. There's a lot of plotlines going on it, but Arthur's plotline is on the day of the fire at the school, his dad was doing like something for the teachers, like a teacher's birthday party or something because his dad's a caterer and they get evacuated from the school and Arthur's like, but my dad's still in there. And his dad gets carried out by the firefighters, like sucking on oxygen, but like he's fine, but he's coughing. He obviously has to go to the hospital for checkout, but he's fine. And then the rest of the episode, it's like, um... It's like, Arthur is like, Dad, how about you still take some time off and go here? Oh, or you're catering this thing at the aquarium. Can I go with you to be there? And Arthur is, he's like, yeah, sure. But then he's like, wait, Arthur, are you afraid because I got, I was in that fire? And he's like, and then he says like, to me, it's like one of those things that I feel like every parent says to you, or every parent should say to you at one point, which is, um, it's my job to worry about you, not the other way around. And it's like, it's a really, like, he tells a really profound story about how when he was a kid, he was afraid about Grandma Thora, which is his dad, his mom. She gets in a car accident before the story begins. And every night he would stay up until she got home from work. And he would shoot baskets with a paper, um, paper thing and just toss it into the, uh, you know, like, you know, wastebasket. And it got me thinking about uh, and this is this is the part I haven't ever talked about really ever honestly on recording, but I feel comfortable to share it, which is that when I was a kid, um, I think one of my most traumatic moments, and I'm also I will, I'll preface by saying I am aware that what I'm about to say, well you know what no no you know what I'm not gonna apologize for being traumatized because that's bullshit. Uh, like, <laughs> No, I mean, if you want to do like a content warning or something. Well, it's it's a it's though like I I want to clarify that like this isn't really like this didn't ruin my life. This isn't like some. It's just something that really like changed the way I thought about my parents. And it's like was a very like you know I said like nine eleven was like a big moment for everyone. Like, but not necessarily for us because it happened when we're so young. This is like one of those moments where I really feel like I stopped being a kid. 
Um, and it was the moment when my parents left my mom's life insurance policy by accident out on the table. And I was like, what's this? And they're like, well, that's the case if mom comes home from work and she gets in a car accident and she dies, we do, we have money to bury her. And like my mom told me this and my dad told me this and I was like, my mom can die? Like what? And what I started doing then was like, you know, I went to bed around eight because I was a kid. I don't, I don't remember how old I was when this happened. And I remember I would start, like, having these just panic attacks as I went to bed. Like, what if mom doesn't come home? Oh, God. Oh, God, please. And I would just start praying. Start praying. And then it'd be like, I'd hear, I'd listen for my dad to go to bed. Because my mom worked until midnight always. I'd, my dad would go to bed around 10 or 9 because he worked at 5 in the morning. Um, and I'd listen for him. I'd wait to hear, like, his light go out. And then I'd just go out and wait in our front room and stare at the clock waiting for midnight to come and then once midnight came if my mom wasn't there i would just start like praying and panicking and believing that if i did not stop staring at that clock god, like god would not listen to me and like my mom would die and it was just like and eventually i don't even know how i got over it um but it's just something where like watch now i'm talking about arthur but i feel like it is relevant to this podcast i think it's relevant to talk about sesame street because i know sesame street does stuff like this too uh and to though to tie it back to Arthur is that the thing that made me cry at the end of this episode though it was not that story. It's that in the episode Buster's storyline is he's bummed that he he was he was in a traffic jam. Mom was running late to work on the day of the fire, so he missed the fire. And so he's like, What the heck? Like well, everyone is so sad about this and I like I'm not and I don't understand, like, what this is. And that's an entire different... Like, that's what I mean. This episode was, like, really tackling all the different mm. way kids deal with trauma. Wow. Because it's, it's like, they go episode. to another... It's really great. Uh, and it's, like, he goes to school... That, like, they have to go to another school while they're, like, fixing up the wiring in the school so another fire doesn't happen. And when he's at this that other school, he's, like, bragging about, like, oh, yeah, the fire was really scary. And everyone's like, dude, what? You didn't see that. And we're actually, like, traumatized with this, and you can't just be like that. And when he gets punished for that, he uh, goes to deliver food, like candies, to Mr. Morris, who's the janitor who got injured in the fire. Like, he broke his leg. And he becomes friends with the janitor. And then he discovers at the end of the episode that the janitor, like, he didn't just break his leg. Like, he like will permanently have to walk on crutches because he's just that old. So he has to retire and go move in with his daughter who lives in, like, Arizona. And so he's like, wait, what? I made a friend because of the fire, but now I'm losing one? They're like, yeah, that's the way it goes sometimes. Like, it's bad, like, you know, like, you don't know how this is going to affect you. Like, you wouldn't have been friends with this guy, but... But then anyway, Mr. Morris gives him an accordion, and since he became really good friends with Mr. Morris, he, like, starts to learn the accordion. And so at the end of the episode, this is the final scene of the episode, and this is where I started crying, is Buster... No, Arthur is staying up, shooting baskets, waiting for his dad to come home from a catering job. And he's on the phone with Buster. And Buster, like, says everything I just said. Where he's like, yeah, I wasn't at the fire, but I'm still really sad it happened. And now I'm really, like, bummed about this. And he's like, yeah, I know. And Arthur's like, yeah, I know. And then Buster's like, I learned something on the accordion that for Mr. Nor uh, for, that Mr. For Mr. Morris. And I do you want to hear it, what I got so far? And, like, Arthur's like, yeah, sure. But then his dad pulls in. He's like, oh, my dad's home. And then Buster's just like, oh, you probably want to go say hi to him then because you're really worried about him. And then Arthur's like, yeah. And he's like, wait, Buster, why don't you just play that song for me? I know he's safe. 
And then he just plays Oh My Darling Clementine on the, the accordion. And that's the end of the episode. It's just a beautiful moment. See, I'm about to cry right now talking about it. It really is just mm-hmm. like... And my it's point here is... structured. Yeah, it's a really like fantastic episode of te- television. And the reason I bring this up is because I know that is what Sesame Street is... Sesame Street is that for younger kids. Because Arthur... Arthur, as I said, 9-11 happened when I was 6. I think that episode came out in 2003 because of the animation lead time. So I was probably 9 when that episode came out. And I was probably dealing with all that bullshit with my my mom at the time. And my point is is that with Sesame Street doing this like episode about 9-11, of course doing... We alluded to it, but we don't really talk about it. The Mr. Hooper episode, which is considered one of the most important episodes of... Te- I, I want to say children's television, but really, like I feel like it is one of the most important episodes in television history just period because of what it did for children's television and what it did for like pbs and like what it meant for what tv could address for kids because i think I, this is just a thing. here's my take just in general at working with kids i think kids are just such like people don't talk about them and i hate it like you know, you know what i mean like people like i see people get mad like oh these kids are going to see minions dressed as suits how dare them like no let kids have fun and don't be afraid to talk to kids about important stuff and this all ties back to pixar i think it ties back to your point that it is a disappointment in a sense that these luxo junior shorts are nothing because we know that pixar will eventually go on to tell these beautiful stories about oh marlin is dealing with trauma because nemo is the last thing he has from his wife and it's told in such a way that kids can grasp and adults can grasp it and everyone just feels emotional from it and it's not cloying or like the scene at the end of The Incredibles, where the incredible, like Mr. Incredibles, like I just don't want to lose you, and so like we know that with Mr. Hooper and with the Arthur episode about 9/11, that children's television can bring this to us, and that is why it feels like a disappointment that Pixar didn't try more. And that is how I feel like I, even though I like these more than you, I feel like I can contextualize why you're disappointed with them. Well, do you want to end with that? I think that's a good tying everything together all right cool um <laughs> all right i mean i don't uh, if you unless you have something else i'm, I'm no no it. i'm good i'm good i just didn't know if we wanted to end on something that's pretty happy i felt like but it's okay oh, we can. Uh, well you just you just wrapped it up in such a nice little way let me uh i mean i didn't it's i kept like smiling because even though it was very like hearing what you said was very affecting i kept thinking about like minions hijacking a plane <laughs> <laughs> well, then, like, but the I didn't thing know is, that was cool now actually I guess they're well, like pulling the that thing band-aid is, uh, off that did, the thing is it both was really funny but it also just made me kind of happy because it made, me, it made me happy that we've gotten to the point where we can make it is not off limits anymore there are other things that are off limits but it it just felt a little reassuring in a sense you know that we have not right. 21 years later we can make jokes about like Bugs Bunny being in an airplane again, you know, like dumb stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, but the other um, you mentioned um, just because we're talking about like weird stuff that happens at school. Um, I don't remember, and noth- nothing particularly is in my brain about like being worried about my parents. Although, of course, that did happen. I just can't think of anything when. But it, I was thinking about like our school when I was in grade school. We were in a really old building, and 
I remember like maybe it probably wasn't this often, but it seemed like once a year we'd have a gas leak. So we would leave the old building that we were in and go like a few blocks over however we got over there to the other school in town and we'd like hang out in their gym for an hour or two um and just like sit in the bleachers and i i think there was always this sense of like the real like terror of all of that um but then we kind of got used to it um and it makes me think of I mean, like, at the end of the Arthur episode, it's, like, it's just the two friends being there for each other. Um, and it it made me think about that from, you know, when, it, when I was really little. We had, like, gas leaks all the time. Mm-hmm. And no, nothing ever bad happened, but it was, like, I don't remember 9-11 strongly. Um, yeah, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't remember 9-11. I remember my dad coming home from work early and picking me up. That's the only thing I ever really remember because my dad worked in Chicago and he worked till like six or f- five or six. Well, counting the drive and he was evacuated rather early in the morning so he could pick me up from kindergarten, which was like a big deal. But then the rest of the day, he was just, my parents were just watching TV, obviously, because that's what every adult was that day. I'll, but. well, I'll, and, and that, that actually, my brain's going to make another jump here. I feel like, we bring <laughs> it was kind of the mission of this podcast was we were going to like talk about childhood experiences and a little bit of personal stuff and trauma and all of that and i was thinking as you were saying this i'm like man we talk about this a lot don't we um but i think you said you know during when you were talking about the kind of preamble to the arthur episode is that 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 event affected our childhoods much more than we know um yeah and and maybe we realize it now in hindsight so that's that's kind of me my my address of the heaviness is that and even to tie it back to we're talking about snl shorts you know we're remembering like significant events versus like mediocre stuff Mm -hmm. um we're think like our childhoods are are tied to like traumatic memories in a lot of ways, which is, as you said, you already summarized why I am angry about these Luxo Jr. shorts in a very good way. But I, I was just thinking about that. I was like, you know, what, whatever addressed that sense that I had of like, you know, being in danger um, versus like, you know, other stuff. You know what, actually, I think it's okay for me to say this. I, I'm Well, whatever. I, I'm not going to, like, share another traumatic story just to be like, I've got one, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, uh, Danny, that was a great story. Uh, you know, what happened to me was... Um, whatever. It'll, <laughs> no, it'll, that'll come up... No, I mean, mm-hmm. it'll come up organically. That's i got to think about the structure of the I think, podcast. But I, I, think I, I think what you're saying... I, I, I want to hear what you have to say, but I do want to say one thing before you move on, which is... The interesting thing about kind of going back to the SNL thing, what you just said about like how we remember trauma. There's a weird thing about my childhood that I very distinctly remember where I went to California when I was like six or seven and we went to Disneyland and I don't remember a lot of the trip. But what I do remember is afterwards in the car, like going to the library when we finally like 
like the day after we landed, she was like, my mom was talking to us and saying, I need to get you guys journals so you can write down everything that happened in California so you can remember it. And I remember that more than the trip itself, <laughs> mm. which I think is kind of weird that like that warning kind of etched itself into my mind. Like you, you will forget things. And did you write anything that, down? I mean, if I did, I wouldn't be able to read it. I don't know where those are. I wondered so. if it was like, you know, back with the VCR player in your house or something. But... I mean, my, my mom might have it. And she has like, she, my mom has like a bunch of stuff. Like I guess back. you wouldn't remember them if that's if you only remember <laughs> that you got the diary and then you have no idea what you what you put in it. Yeah, but were you gonna say something else? Well, now it it's it's a story, so I'll tell it. But I I just you know this is just you know people share stories and maybe someone will relate to this like the gas leak thing. But I I remember because we lived on a farm and so we were like pretty far away from people. Um, and so it actually wasn't uncommon for me to be like home alone for decent amounts of time because like my parents pick me up but like we're just far away from people so some if if someone goes out they're really like out for a while um and that's it's not related to travel but like when you're out in those old like country back roads people like strangers will just come up all the time and it's kind mm -hmm. of a big event and there was always stuff going on that I had no idea about as a kid. But I do, like with, you know, air quotes, neighbors who were like down the road, there's that distance. But also, like, I remember that, you know, everyone had like guns and dogs and things. So it's you, you can go a little bit outside the home and then you're really kind of in danger from things you don't know about. So I do remember, like, you know, sometimes... If something bad was afoot, or there something the the air quotes neighbors were doing that was being weird, I know my dad would like go out and go to check on that, and that's when I got scared, or I remember getting scared about that kind of, you know, like will you see them again? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I definitely did not have the experience you had, which was like watching this as a child and then going back as an adult and being like Arthur warned me. Um, but that's what the Arthur my... the Arthur Marathon really. That I, I said that last week. The Arthur Marathon really was like, oh my gosh, this show has is so prescient and a lot. I think doing that Arthur Marathon, and granted, I obviously can't talk about any of the stuff that came out after it, but it, I think at the time I was obviously mad about it. But you know, I think my parents not getting me cable till middle school was a good thing. <laughs> I think growing up on Arthur was a good thing. That's um, the other thing you mentioned, like. You mentioned the Sesame Street was for babies, and I didn't watch it because it was usually on before I got up. But I was watching, like, children's television well into high school just because it was on when I was in front of the TV. And we didn't, I mean, we had cable, but, like, I have a kind of warped sense of what is and isn't for children because of the way my viewing habits were when I was younger. Thank you. But... I do need to point out. We 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 should uh, we should. Probably I mean, we should wrap. Up, I wanted yeah. to wrap it up after you did your nice little thing. I know. I'm I sorry. Like, well, I've got I'm sorry. Now now I gotta I'm not gonna awkwardly wrap it up. Ugh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, oh. I okay. You know what? I'll bring it back to Luxo Junior very briefly. Sesame Street Shorts is that yeah, I just have you, to point out. I find up. it I find it hysterical that our tin toy knickknack episodes are probably about a third <laughs> of the length of this one. Probably you combine the two of them, it is half the length of this episode. <laughs> 
yeah. Well, <laughs> or just uh, like, oh, Tin Toy. No one wants to hear about that one. Knickknack, <laughs> ah, Pixocus. Let's go, Junior Sesame Street. Let's talk about PBS. Yeah, if there's any opportunity we can cheat, then I'm all about it. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, as I've said, I already know in about a year we'll return to PBS discussion. So, yeah. yeah. Um, what are we I doing know, I... next week? Well, should we announce our very special guest? We should. All right, guys, we've booked a very special guest for a very special episode. Because if you remember, we've said that our next episode is Toy Story. It is a first Pixar film that we will be covering. So exciting. I hope everyone listening to this podcast has seen Toy Story. Because if not, you're going to be pretty lost. Yeah. Uh, And we have a guest. We have a very special guest. Um... Guest who has not been on any of my podcasts before, so this will be the first time he's ever oh. on a podcast I'm on. What? Did you say oh? Like, well, oh, what? well, it's so I guess I'll help with the introduction. Yeah, you so, can probably help. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. yeah. So our guest for Toy Story is a very special guest. Um, we are getting Kevin Hart on our show. And the reason I made the O is because if he had been on one of your other podcasts... We could skip the little the joke, uh, you know, the, 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 the appendix dumb. to his introduction, which we always yeah. have to do. Which is, it's not Kevin Hart; it's Kevin Hart, who is our friend from college. Yeah, um, I'm sure. I'm sure. He, honestly, if you listen to this, I'm probably a little annoyed with the joke, but I feel like people, <laughs> he probably also expected like, it. He probably expected it. Let's be real. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just like people are like tuning out right now and they're like, all right, here's here come the credits. And then they hear Kevin Hart and they're like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, Um, Kevin Hart. Yeah. Yeah. Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar podcast is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original logo was designed by Sarah Knopf. And you can find us at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar journey. You can find us on Twitter at Pixar Journey and on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod. You can also email us at Looking for the Ocean Pixar at gmail.com. If you want to know what I'm up to, everything is available on my website, markyoungperformer.com. You can listen to my other two podcasts, Wise with Ty and Dan and The Snub Club, wherever you can find your podcasts. You can also find me on Letterboxd at Blankments for all my takes on all the movies. We'll see you next time. See you next time.